Welcome to the third installment of Beyond Journal Club, a collaboration between Core IM and NEJM Group. The goal of Beyond Journal Club is to take landmark clinical trials and put them in a context, telling the story of how we got to where we are and what it means for how we take care of patients. Today, we're going to talk about the use of steroids in the treatment of community-acquired pneumonia. I'm Dr. Sue Ellen Lee, an editorial fellow at the New England Journal of Medicine and a hospitalist at MGH. I'm Dr. Greg Katz, a cardiologist at NYU. And I'm Dr. Clem Lee, a former fellow and current guest editor at the New England Journal of Medicine. Today, we're talking about the Cape Cod trial, which was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in May of 2023. The Cape Cod trial explored whether using glucocorticoids in the treatment of severe community-acquired pneumonia, or what we're going to call CAP from now on, would reduce mortality. Thinking about this trial and talking to a bunch of my colleagues who take care of lots of patients with pneumonia, the theme that kept coming back is that interpreting a trial like this in the clinical context and applying it to our patients is one of the most exciting and wonderful things about being a doctor. Right. There's so much conflicting evidence. The history of steroids and pneumonia is like a pendulum that swings back and forth between positive and negative trials. It's ultimately up to you to decide whether the patient in front of you fits or doesn't fit into table one. And putting trials like Cape Cod into the context of the entirety of the body of research that came before is not important just because of what it tells us about what Cape Cod found, but also because applying a trial like this in the face of conflicting evidence is the art of medicine. So today, we're going to start off by laying the groundwork with the rationale for using glucocorticoids in infections, specifically in pneumonia. Then we'll discuss the conflicting findings from past studies of steroids in pneumonia. And finally, we'll take a deep dive into the Cape Cod study and talk about what we as clinicians can take away from the results. Before we talk about steroids, let's first bring it back to the basics and think about what happens when we get an infection and why steroids might even help. So with an infection, there are two major problems. The first one is the direct effect of the invading organism. And the second is the consequence of your body's response to that stress, which is inflammation. And as we know, inflammation is a key component of our defense against infection, but an over-exuberant inflammatory response can cause harm. We can target the first problem, the invading organism, with antibiotics, but we don't have the same kind of targeted therapies for the second problem, which is overactivation of the immune system. Exactly. And the immune system is just like real estate. Location matters. Where you get an infection and the resultant inflammatory response is important. The location affects just how big of an impact that inflammation has. Right. To contrast that to another part of the body, if we think of inflammation in the GI tract with gastroenteritis, we lose fluids and electrolytes, but we can just replace it. There's not a finite amount of space. But within the lungs, there's limited space. So if an inflammatory response spirals out of control, we quickly run out of room to ventilate. Right. I love that comparison to real estate. So it sounds like steroids would be the perfect drug to lower inflammation, right? I mean, we use it in so many other conditions. It certainly makes intuitive sense that steroids, because they lower inflammation, may help curb the body's immune response in the lungs and improve outcomes if there's an infection in that finite ventilatory space. But we know that steroids are not totally benign. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of side effects. Hyperglycemia, GI bleeding, infections, neuropsychiatric side effects, and the list goes on and on. I was surprised to learn from the recent Core IM episode on steroids that even a short course of steroids can have side effects. Yeah, I've had so many patients whose blood sugars go wildly out of control on steroids, and hospital-acquired delirium is already so common. I would hate to start steroids without a good reason. Yeah, I totally agree. I think we would have to be sure that the benefits outweigh the risks. So let's take a closer look at the story of steroids. If you go back through the last several decades... There have been a ton of studies investigating whether steroids improve outcomes in pneumonia. And spoiler alert, the results have been absolutely all over the place. 
You know, guys, I read through so many of these studies and thought it would be good to pause and highlight some of the major positive and negative trials before we dive into Cape Cod and show the story of how the pendulum has really swung in both directions. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And as a heads up, these studies were so heterogeneous. You'll hear that different types of steroids were used, given in different ways, and measured using different outcomes. So the first study that put steroids on the map was an RCT in 2005. It was a small study in ICU patients and randomized 46 patients with severe pneumonia to hydrocortisone infusion or placebo. The patients who got steroids had better vent mechanics, delayed septic shock, and less multi-organ dysfunction. It's a tiny sample size, but that study's secondary endpoint was a real shocker. 0% mortality in the hydrocortisone group versus 38% mortality in the placebo group after 60 days. Yeah, Greg, I was pretty surprised too to see mortality rates of 0 and 38%. That's so different from what I remember reading, that the mortality rate for patients hospitalized with CAP is generally about 13%. Yeah, and also a 0% mortality in ICU Mm -hmm. patients with pneumonia. If it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. Yeah, just like us, others were also skeptical about these results for a variety of reasons, including major concerns about how the trial was conducted and the multiple comparisons without statistical adjustment. But the results inspired many other researchers to start studying steroids and ammonia. One of the other positive trials was a 2013 study out of Egypt that randomized 80 patients with CAP to IV hydrocortisone bolus plus infusion compared to placebo. This trial also found a real treatment benefit with steroids. Yeah, and around the same timeline, there were also a bunch of negative RCTs on steroids, right? Right. There was a 2011 study in Lancet, which took 304 patients with CAP and randomized them to IV dexamethasone versus placebo and found no mortality difference. And after that, the 2015 STEP trial, which randomized 785 patients with CAP to prednisone versus placebo, the STEP investigators found a shortened time to clinical stability, but no difference at all in mortality rate. And finally, another recent study was the SCAPE trial, which randomized 586 patients with severe CAP to IV methylprednisolone versus placebo. This trial fell short of its target enrollment of over 1,400 patients, but among those who were included, it found no significant difference in mortality or secondary outcomes. Now, we can zoom in on the SCAPE trial for just a little bit. It is an important trial because it's one of the largest trials in this area and the most recent one before Cape Cod. However, one of the criticisms of the trial was not only that it was underpowered, but that it was done in the VA system, which has mostly older and male patients, so it might be hard to generalize. And it seems like a common problem with a lot of these studies was a small sample size. If you don't have enough patients, you're not powered to detect a difference in mortality, especially if that difference is small. So wouldn't a meta-analysis be the way to resolve this? Theoretically, I do get what you're saying, Sue Ellen. Combining data from multiple trials, you are often more likely to detect a small difference if there really is one. But in this case, the meta-analyses just add to the pendulum swings. Yep, and along that train of thought, Annals published a meta-analysis in 2015 concluding that steroids may reduce mortality by approximately 3%. Then there were two more meta-analyses that came out in 2017 and 2018 looking at steroids and pneumonia. Long story short, one found a mortality benefit and the other didn't. Wow. And to add to the confusion, not only have the data been mixed, but even professional societies had conflicting guidance. When I compare the American guidelines to the European guidelines on CAP, the European ones recommended steroids and the American ones did not recommend steroids. So when even major professional societies don't completely agree on what to do, it leaves us as clinicians in a space with a little bit of a lack of clarity. Yeah. And beyond that, the studies all had different steroid protocols. Some had IV infusion, some were oral, some started steroids within 24 hours, and others had delayed initiation. And they all used different drug doses. And not to bring up yet another issue, but all of these trials use different inclusion and exclusion criteria for CAP. 
The patients in one study might not have been as sick as in another, which might influence the potential benefits and harms. Right. In practice, we've all had patients that when they first present, it can be hard to tell if they have pneumonia or some other mimic. Studies that used looser inclusion criteria might have included some patients that didn't actually have pneumonia, but had aspiration pneumonitis or heart failure instead. Whenever I run into a situation like this, where some trials are positive and some trials are neutral or negative, it makes me suspect that there's just a subset of patients that probably benefits more from the treatment and that some of the trials are better at capturing that subgroup than other ones. Yeah, and thinking about what you just said, Greg, maybe that signal for benefit in the studies we talked about was in the patients who were sicker or more inflamed. And that's where Cape Cod comes in. Cape Cod looked at a sicker population with more severe pneumonia and used a hydrocortisone infusion to treat them. So to remind everyone, Cape Cod was the largest RCT to date on steroids and CAP. It took 800 ICU patients with severe CAP and randomized them to IV hydrocortisone versus placebo. And really importantly to emphasize, the Cape Cod investigators were super strict in deciding who met criteria for severe CAP. We have all certainly overcalled a pneumonia when we were actually just seeing heart failure. And it was striking just how precise the investigators here were in getting rid of common confounders like aspiration pneumonitis or volume overload when they were deciding who actually had pneumonia. They also excluded patients who had septic shock, significant baseline steroid use, or influenza. Right, and it makes sense to exclude those patients from the study because we know from prior evidence that steroids cause harm in influenza. Exactly, and they also excluded septic shock because the reason why steroids are used in refractory shock is a different mechanism. In septic shock, you have relative adrenal insufficiency, so giving steroids helps with that. Exactly. The Cape Cod investigators wanted to answer the question, do steroids help in pneumonia? Not the question, do steroids help in shock? Okay, so now that we know all the patients that they excluded, how do they define severe CAP in the patients that were included? And specifically, what do they mean by severe? They define severe CAP as either patients who were mechanically ventilated with a PEEP over 5, patients who had a P to F ratio under 300 on high flow or non-rebreather, or patients in the highest pulmonary severity index group, which is a validated risk score for CAP. Yeah, I think it's important to point out that these criteria are different than the IDSA criteria for severe CAP which take into account some other factors, such as tachypnea, confusion, and uremia. And keep in mind that this is a fairly sick patient population. About half of the patients in Cape Cod were on mechanical ventilation, and on average, these patients were admitted to the ICU within about five hours of hospital admission. So not your run-of-the-mill patient coming in for CAP. Wow, Sue Ellen, did you say five hours? Because sometimes I can't even get an admission orders in that amount of time. <laughs> so true. <laughs> So, so when you look at the methods a bit more, they screened 6,000 patients and only enrolled 800. So why did so few patients make it past the screening? Well, the study took a fairly rigorous approach to enrolling patients. We talked about their strict inclusion and exclusion criteria. Whenever there's a large number of people that don't make it through the screening protocol, it sometimes makes me skeptical about the generalizability of a study. But when you look in detail at the way that the Cape Cod investigators applied the screening to figure out who actually had pneumonia, it makes me feel way more confident that these results truly are applicable to patients with CAP. And what do we think about the method of steroid delivery that they chose? To remind ourselves, they gave hydrocortisone as an IV infusion for four or seven days with a taper of eight or 14 days based on improvement on day four. That seems kind of arbitrary to me. Yeah, it's totally arbitrary, but so is every steroid protocol in every single one of these trials. 
There is no standard way of doing steroid dosing in these cases. And we talked about all of these studies. Every single trial has its own unique steroid adjustment. Yeah. And I think we can all agree, though, that having a continuous infusion for up to 14 days is not what I would call the most practical approach. Totally. And another thing to point out is that the Cape Cod investigators administered steroids within 24 hours of onset of any of the severity criteria. That time to steroid initiation was much faster compared to some other studies. The ESCAPE trial, for example, allowed patients to be randomized to steroid treatment up to 96 hours after hospital admission. So if we think that the early administration of steroids matters, which I'm not actually sure that I do, then Cape Cod would be better positioned to detect that early advantage. Yeah. And one other thing, they also didn't allow steroids in the control group. And I think that's worth noting when we interpret the results. All right. Before we get too into the weeds about the methods, let's talk about the results. The big headline was that they were significantly lower all-cause mortality at 28 days in the hydrocortisone group, 6.2% compared to 11.9% mortality in the placebo group. They also found lower intubation rates in the steroid group, 18% versus 29%, and lower rates of new vasopressor initiation, 15% versus 25%. And both were pre-specified secondary endpoints. So a mortality risk uh, cut by almost half in the steroid group, that's huge. And it's perhaps a little bit surprising when you consider how many negative studies and how many neutral studies there are about steroids and pneumonia. And wait a minute, those mortality rates also sound lower than what you would expect for ICU patients with severe CAP. Right. And the researchers themselves had actually anticipated a baseline mortality of 27% when they were doing their own power calculations. I think even the researchers themselves were probably surprised by how big of a mortality benefit they found. And the size of that mortality difference made some people skeptical. Yeah, so that's totally fair. But keep in mind that the investigators actually under-enrolled this trial compared to what they were expecting to get. They initially planned on 1,200 patients, but ultimately recruited only 800 because of the pandemic. And even though the study did not enroll that target sample size, and as a result, the power of the study was smaller than planned, at the end of the day, the result was statistically significant. And that's really the only thing that matters here. Just a quick word from our sponsor. We all want to eat healthier, but let's be honest, between our busy schedule and the endless prep and cleanup, it feels kind of out of our reach. You know, we often are aiming for better nutrition, but end up compromising for quick fixes that are anything but healthy. Now, imagine a different scenario. Picture a day where you're coming home to gourmet, nutritious meals that are ready in just two minutes. With Factors, that is possible. Factors delivers delicious, chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals right to your door, ready to heat in just two minutes, giving you over 35 weekly options to choose from, from calorie smart to protein plus to keto. And don't forget, they have 60 plus add-ons for an extra boost from breakfast to midday bites. So you're not spending all your time and money in the hospital's cafeteria. So no prep, no mess, just real mouthwatering meals tailored to fit your schedule and dietary needs. With fact, you're not just saving time, but you're elevating your meal game without the hassle of cooking. Head to factormeals.com slash coriam50. Use the code coriam50 to get 50% off. That's the code coriam50 at factormeals.com slash coriam50. So what did people chalk the mortality benefit up to? Was it the hydrocortisone that they used or was it that they started the steroids early? Yeah, there is some thought that it could be the type of steroid. And there was a new meta-analysis that came out in 2023 that included Cape Cod, and it found that hydrocortisone was associated with more benefit compared to other steroids in patients who had severe CAP. Um, I guess I am confused about that because hydrocortisone does have more mineralocorticoid activity, but I've heard some ICU doctors express doubts about this being beneficial. 
like why would it be good for an ICU patient to retain more salt and fluid? They're sometimes already up 13 liters in their ICU stay. Oh, the cardiologist in me hears about a patient being up 13 liters of fluid and I can't put in a Lasix order fast enough. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not sure what the reasoning is for the signal with hydrocortisone either. And the other thing that people did point out, and there was even a letter to the editor written about this, was that there was a big difference in the rates of shock between the two groups. It was 15% in the hydrocortisone group and 25% in the placebo group. And remember that steroids were not allowed in the placebo group. So maybe the intervention group did better, not because the steroids were treating the ammonia, but maybe because the steroids were treating the septic shock. I mean, I guess this could be chicken or the egg, though. Maybe the intervention group didn't develop as much shock because they were on steroids. Yeah, so it looks like there are some reasons to be skeptical here, but it's really hard to explain away that 6% absolute risk reduction in mortality. Right. It seems like there's a pretty convincing signal for benefit in the study population. What about the safety outcomes? In terms of safety, the good news is that the investigators didn't see any major difference in the rate of GI bleeding or hospital-acquired infections. The bad news is that the steroid group sort of expectedly had higher blood glucose and required higher doses of insulin. Some side effects that Cape Cod did not report are the ones that unfortunately are the most memorable to patients who stay in the ICU, and these are PTSD, ICU myopathy, and delirium. So it would have been helpful to see those side effect data for Cape Cod. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. Greg, you mentioned earlier about the idea that particular subsets of patients might benefit more from steroids than others. Did we see any signal of that in this study? The subgroup analyses here were really interesting, but I need to remind everyone, subgroup analyses are hypothesis generating, not hypothesis testing. Right. Remember that because of the pandemic, the trial didn't enroll enough patients to meet its original sample size goals, so it was even more underpowered to look for subgroup effects. I agree. With those caveats in mind, what were some of the more interesting subgroup findings? Well, the most interesting subgroup to me is the patients who had the higher CRP levels. Okay, let's unpack that. Patients with a CRP level greater than 15 milligrams per deciliter had a greater mortality benefit from steroids than those who had a lower CRP. Wait, Sue Ellen, there are patients in the ICU with CRP levels that are less than 15? I find that to be very shocking. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> Clem, I think those jokes are the most shocking. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. It certainly makes intuitive sense that patients with more inflammation might have more benefit from steroids, which at their core are anti-inflammatory medications. And I think the last point worth bringing up is that about 20% of patients in the study had strep pneumo. And we know that steroids have a benefit in strep pneumo meningitis. So do they also help strep pneumonia? Yeah, you can look at the pathogen breakdown in Cape Cod where strep pneumo was the most commonly identified pathogen. Right. But then again, 45% of patients had no pathogen identified, and those patients actually did better in the subgroup analysis. So maybe we shouldn't be putting too much stock into which bug was identified. And in my experience, we frequently don't identify a bug. And even when we do, it's probably not within the right time frame for starting hydrocortisone, as was done in this trial. All right. So let's recap some of these discussion points. One, the placebo group didn't get steroids and had more shock. So were the steroids just better at treating shock in the intervention group? Two, patients with an elevated CRP showed more benefit. And three, there doesn't seem to be any interaction between the identified pathogen and the effect of hydrocortisone. So these are all interesting theoretical ways to break down the study in more detail. But at the end of the day, these are all just interesting points rather than solid takeaways that I'll have from Cape Cod. So now it boils down to this big question. Should the Cape Cod trial change your practice? 
Well, we talked to a bunch of people, and it seems like there are two schools of thought. One is that once patients get this level of sick with pneumonia, they also develop ARDS and septic shock, so it gets hard to tease apart what we're treating with the steroids. And we already use steroids for septic shock and ARDS. Yeah, that school of thought is the school of therapeutic nihilism. It's the argument that any patient who has pneumonia that's severe enough to be included in this study also had some other indication for steroids. So if all of these patients had COPD or ARDS, then the therapeutic nihilist would say that this changes nothing, it doesn't teach us anything, and frankly, let's just stop talking about this clinical trial. The other school of thought is that maybe there's the patient who's fallen through the cracks before, and this is a patient who has severe pneumonia but doesn't have COPD or ARDS or shock, but is still hypoxic and just really sick despite being on the right antibiotics. And that's the kind of patient you should be reaching to treat with hydrocortisone when you wouldn't have before. Yeah, after some reflection, as a hospitalist, I think I ascribe to the second school of thought. If I see a patient that's meeting the criteria for severe CAP, how they defined it, and could end up in the ICU soon, I think I'm more likely to reach for hydrocortisone after reading the study than I would have before. When I was reflecting on this trial and also talking to pulmonologists and ICU doctors, I was surprised by how many people brought up the recovery study, the trial looking at dexamethasone and severe COVID pneumonia. I was surprised because it's not a CAP trial, and recovery patients were usually sicker than those in Cape Cod. But some of these really smart ICU doctors and pulmonologists kept coming back to recovery as proof of concept that there's probably a subset of patients who have pneumonia where inflammation driving hypoxia is what's making them most sick. And that subset of patients benefits from treating the inflammation directly rather than just treating the underlying disease and providing high-quality supportive care. And so while no single trial should fully change your practice unless you're more gullible than you should be, different trials can push you in different directions for patients on the margins. And so for Cape Cod, it's a trial that's going to push me to give steroids for that hypoxic patient who's not doing well despite the appropriate therapy. Yeah, and I think there's certainly a lot that needs to be sorted out in future studies, the ideal method of delivery, whether or not a taper is needed, and which steroid is best. We have to keep these details in mind when we think about applying these results because we can't necessarily extrapolate these findings to different treatment protocols. Right. I think the takeaway here is that these results are exciting, but that we should be very judicious about who we apply them to. These were sick ICU patients who had severe pneumonia. Very few of the patients that I see as a hospitalist would have even been eligible for the Cape Cod study. Hey, Sue Ellen, at least we've come a long way since the days of Hippocrates, when pneumonia was treated with hot baths and a blend of honey, milk, and vinegar. You know, Clem, minus the vinegar, that doesn't sound too bad to me. So there you have it, the third edition of Beyond Journal Club with NEJM Group. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with your team and colleagues and give it a rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you use. It really does help people find us. And if you have any feedback, please email us at hello at coreimpodcast.com. Opinions expressed are our own and do not represent the opinions of any affiliated institutions. And the other thing that patients did point out, and there was even a letter to the editor written about this. And- Sorry, you said patients pointed it out. Oh. <laughs> uh, okay. Which they might have. I don't know who wrote the letter. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.